Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to another episode of Jamming with Jason. Hey, today is one of my favorite kind of episodes where I actually get to reconnect with somebody that I haven't talked to in quite a while. In fact, it's probably been about 10 years since I really connected with my friend Jane M. Finger, who's going to be on the podcast today. But since we've reconnected, it's just like we never stopped where we were at from 10 years before. And she has a great story and, uh, and some experiences that I wanted to make sure and share with everybody uh, here on the podcast. Because again, um, you know, as you listen to these stories, as you listen to the podcast, you're going to be able to see your life in the life of other people, and you'll be able to see what's possible. Because I know a lot of times you think, oh, man, nobody else in the world is going through what I'm going through. But I'm here to tell you that there's lots of people going through the same thing. So make sure whatever you do, listen to this entire episode, because what Jane has to say today is what you need to hear. And the fact that you're listening to this means there is at least one or two things in this episode that you need to hear and that you need to share with other people. So with that, let's just roll that episode with Jane. You are jamming with Jason Mefford, where you hear inspiring interviews with some amazing people. Some are famous, some may seem ordinary, and they are all doing extraordinary things to positively change the world. Sometimes it's just you and me having an intimate and authentic conversation about how you can change the world around you and rewrite the story of your life by being more authentic, accepting and loving yourself more, and spreading love to others. Since really, all you need is love. And what the world needs now is love, sweet love. We discuss all aspects of self-improvement, growth, and so much more. Great content, insightful advice that's practical and helpful to anyone that listens. You're always eager to come back for more and share with your friends and family since you learn something in every episode. So sit back and enjoy the easy listening while you feel seen and heard in this informative, authentic, and entertaining podcast. Now, let's roll that beautiful podcast footage. Hey, Jane, how are you doing? Oh, my goodness. I am so happy to be here with you today. I know. It's, um, it's, fun. it's fun to reconnect with people because I know, you know, we, we both worked at the same company and we won't get into all that. But, you know, my departure it was kind of at a weird time and we didn't ever really get to say goodbye. And all of a sudden, you know, 10 years later, I see your smiling face and I think it was LinkedIn and I'm like, Jane, how are you? So great. And we just hit it back off again. So, um, so I'm excited to talk because you've always been one of my favorite people. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, and I wanted to talk because I know that obviously 
there were things that changed in your life in the last 10 years as well. And I think there are things that other people need to hear as well. So I, I guess let's just kind of kind of jump in a, a little bit. We'll kind of, you know, rewind fast forward, however we need to. Um, but, but maybe just give people a little bit of a snapshot of who you are by a couple of, I know some of the major life things that you've gone through, yeah. right? So give, just give people a little snapshot as to maybe some of these major life things that you've gone through. And then we'll, we'll go back and we'll, we'll dig into them a little bit more, but that way people can kind of see you and understand that you're a real person going through a lot of the same things that maybe they're going through too. Yeah, like, you know, life is a puzzle. And when we put all those pieces together, it's a different snapshot for everybody, but there are a lot of commonalities. Um, you know, I, I fancy myself a very authentic and transparent person. So that's why you and I get along so well, because we think sharing is important. And uh, when we reconnected, I just, there was a light that turned back on. I was like, here's you're a friend, but you're also a confidant. And I, I just appreciate you having me here with you today. Uh, you know, we, happiness is a choice. And in my life, I choose happy. But happy comes in a lot of different, um, in a lot of different ways. Like a lot of men and women out there, um, I was part of corporate America for 25 and a half years and literally spent half of my life uh, in a large organization. But what that looked like for me was you know, young mother, uh, unfortunately divorced very early. So that, that single mom situation started, which changes your trajectory quite a bit. I had then I've been that next that next hurdle. Uh, I had breast cancer, and that's where I was when we were connected. And you went one way, and I went another, and we, that's when we lost touch. But I was I after that I returned to the very same organization that was incredibly supportive of me during that time. But you're just different, and your energy is different, and you look at life differently after something like that. And then this, this crazy thing called a pandemic hit. And this, the same organization that I've been with for a long time made some changes. And one of those changes was me. Yeah, they, they classified it as an opportunity to, to go a different way. Um, and I did see that as an opportunity. Um, like I, we had talked for about 48 hours, I didn't look at it as an opportunity and then Everyone that in my life that I've been talking to for so long said, why are you upset about this? And I stopped and I said, I, I don't really know. I think it's just because it wasn't my choice. And mm -hmm. uh, so at that point, uh, I, I, I knew I needed to make a, make a, a left turn. You know, that, that happened in 2021, the same year that my one and only boy, the love of my life, went to school as well. So he, he uh, took off for the beautiful Pacific Northwest. He goes to Oregon State. Uh, and so here I found myself, you know, the, the 50 some odd year old. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> I mean, I heard, I heard 29. Uh, 25. Yeah, okay. Possibly. Um, that I needed, I was, my, my career had transitioned, my only child had gone to school. I was still, you know, trying to get energy and, and the Jane back from having a relatively major health scare. 
So it was time. It was time to figure out what that new path is. And I don't, I don't enter these things as, 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 as you know, look, acting like some sort of a swami. I can't tell the future, but I knew that I needed to make a decision and harness that happiness and figure out what, what I was going to do. So I did. And I uh, started my own business and it, like, it's consulting in the organizational development space, which is, which, which I, I looked back on the skills that number one, I enjoyed the most. I looked at the skills that I impacted the most people. And I looked at the skills that I found joy in. And that was helping people, helping organizations on create uh, exciting and applicable onboarding programs and looking at them and and figuring out how, how best they can recognize people, or let's talk about performance management and figure out what you can do and how you can define your performance management to help everybody succeed, or those that, you, that, that want to succeed can succeed. So I opened up Gem Solutions, and after that, had an incredible big new partner, and at the same time, needed to figure out where I was gonna go philanthropically, and we'll continue philanthropically post-pandemic because a lot of that changed. And there was also a little bubble of time that I wanted to figure out. I wanted to stay part of that culinary world because food is food is fun for me. So I also you know, started a, a side hustle um, building charcuterie and cheese boards called Gems Little Bites. And I have just, my world is full and it is incredible and still a little scary uh, because you know, with both of those new enterprises, uh, there isn't a paycheck every two weeks. So you have to, to, to build and think and be more strategic, personally strategic, but I'm having a great time. And um, I'm in a place where a lot of people, you know, if I can say it, probably around 3.38 million people in 2021, uh, you know, resigned and found a new calling. Um, and I'd like to think that I'm one of those. Well, that's why, and, and that's why after we've reconnected too, because it's, I, I've seen some of that and I've seen some of the light in your eyes from that a little bit. And I, I, I want to get there and I want to talk more ab about some of that stuff too, because there are so many people now that are, you know, they're like you and me. I mean, we, we were in corporate for a long time. Right. And then all of a sudden now we're not, you know, and it's like there, you know, a lot of people are like, is there life after whatever. Right. So so let's kind of answer that that, that sure. question and poke a little bit more because I know I heard you say too it wasn't my choice. Okay, so so let's rewind because again and 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 so part of this is, you know, yeah, we we both grew up in different parts of the country. You know, uh, we ended up working for the same company yep. for a while, but but here's some stuff you didn't even know about me. Right. That that that, again, the, the more we get to know other people, the more we find out that we're all alike in so many different ways. Right. So so you were divorced. You were a single mom. Right. With, with a son at home. I got divorced. I was a single parent for a while with my you know son who lived with me. I've gotten remarried since then. Uh, you had breast cancer. My mother had breast cancer. You know, um, we both had opportunities elsewhere from the same employer. 
right? And so there, there is a lot of, of similarities too, even personality wise. And people are going to be able to see this the more we start talking here and why I love you so much. (laughs) Okay. But, but, but let's go to this, this point of it's not my choice, right? So was it your choice to be a single mother? Was it your choice to have breast cancer? Was it your choice to have, you know, this opportunity given to you? I'm guessing the answer was no, no, and no, right? No, no, and no. Uh, however, I don't necessarily know if it's, if it's about the choice. It's what you do with the outcome. Ding, ding, and ding, right? What's that, huh? I was going to say ding, 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 right? Ding, ding, ding. It, it, it really is. And I don't know. It's throughout, throughout every one of those steps, I realized that, that, happiness is a choice that I have said that before, but each one of those opportunities has such a silver lining. You know, here we go. I, I, I went through a divorce very early and you know, my, I, I, he was my best friend. And you know what? He still is my best friend. Years and years and years later, I, people, I mean, I, I spend as much time with my ex-husband as I do with anybody else. And I was able to find an independence but also maintain that friendship with him. So there's a silver lining. I had, yes, I had breast cancer. It, it was hard. It was absolutely hard. And I'm not going to say it wasn't, but I got to spend more time with my son than I had since birth. He went into daycare at three months old. And then in the fifth grade, all of a sudden this opportunity came around for me to pick him up from school when I could. We got to spend six months together. And that is unheard of for working professional women that don't have staff and don't have all of the, the, you know, the things that make that work-life balance, which is another, we could go all about <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I'll use it for sake of understanding at this point. You know, and then with, with my departure from the organization that we were both part of, it helped me redefine who I am. Uh, my family just cannot believe the change in me because it was always go, go, go. And the perfection of every single event in our family, it had to be that because I think I was, I don't think I was, I was putting on a show for others. Well, that's what you were doing at work most yeah. of the time, right? I mean, you were responsible for putting on shows. That's, yeah, yeah, especially when you're, you do you know, corporate events as well. You're always, you know, like I said, the jazz hands are out. Well, it just, it, it was an opportunity for me to redefine really who I am. Um, you know, and it, again, I figured out it's about how to use my voice as well. I mean, we're talkers, you're a talker, I'm a talker. And, but I also realized that, and I heard a, a, a comment from a, a, a that I, I actually, I think I read it somewhere that, that says, you know, they use the same letters in the word silent as they do in listen. And I just absolutely love every minute of that because now I've learned that listening is so much more important than talking. Mind you, I still talk a lot, but it, uh, I just listened to those around me finally. And it's, it's freeing. It's fantastic. Well, and I know, I mean, cause, cause you know, what you kind of experienced is, you know, what I experienced, I know a lot of other people experience, right. As we, 
you go to school, you get a job, usually in an organization, and you're kind of taught, you know, well, you put your head down, you work really hard, right? You, you know, you sacrifice, you know, your family and other, I mean, if you're, if you're the primary breadwinner, you know, you feel this need to keep your employer happy because you got to keep a job. Right. And so that's whether you're a single mom, you know, dad, two parent family working, whatever. Right. You feel this this obligation to be a good employee, to do the do the right thing so you can survive. So your family can survive. Right. And it's about survival at times. It really is. Well, it is. And and, I mean, it's sometimes it feels like we're not even going to survive. Yeah. Right. I mean. And, and, and I think that's where, you know, I, I see at some point, everybody, it seems like, comes to terms with that, right? Is they realize I've only been surviving. It's about time for me to start living, right? So maybe kind of talk a little bit about that, because I know some of those thoughts had to, I'm sure, have come up, you know, when you were fighting cancer, but now also with this other opportunity, too. So how do, how do you kind of deal deal with or navigate through some of those things. Cause I'm sure people that are listening, you know, if they haven't already are going to have one of those, you know, what some people call come to Jesus kind of moments, right. Where it's like all of a sudden yeah. your perspective kind of has to change. Your perspective has to change. And I've got a, 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 a few examples of, you know, in my, in my work persona, um, I was always, and I hope, I hope you agree with this put together. I'm, I was always well-dressed and I was prepared and you never knew that there was anything challenging going on in my life until I came back bald. I mean, the bald thing kind of was a giveaway, but, uh, especially, I mean, so here we go. I went through a divorce. Um, I mean, the morning after my husband left and it was a leaving, it was a left. Um, I was at work the next morning, eight o'clock. I was pressed. I was ready to go. I, nobody knew um, anything because I, I was, I was, there was a, that felt so vulnerable. It felt so vulnerable and it's not authentic. And I understand that. And we'll get to that authenticity piece, but that is what your employer and what your public expects. You're leading people. I was a, in a customer facing role. So I had to be there and I had to be ready. So at that point, you know, people didn't know that, you know, that, Things were so tight that uh, you know, neighbors would, you know, just you know, show up with lunches for Grant and I. We come out the front door and there'd be lunches sitting there because I had shared with somebody how crazy you know money was. You lose fifty percent of your income. I mean, that's things like that happen, but you would never know because I would, you would that that the screen was up and nobody would ever know that. Um, then you move on to something like having uh, having breast cancer. And um, you share it with your employer and they say, well, what's the plan? Here's your plan. And then you start fighting this and you, 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 you dig a lot. You, you're online a lot because you have some time on your hands, not only on your own WebMD, which you should never do. But number two, you hear people, you're reading these inspirational stories about people that fought cancer and they worked the whole time. You know, every day they worked still, which I am going to call big BS on right now. If you were really, really going through it, you may have told people you were working the whole time or that work that you were doing wasn't terribly effective, folks, because you've got poison in your body. You are not that effective, but you wanted people to believe that you were fighting so hard. 
And, and a lot of people, like I said, they continued with their life as they, as they knew it at that point. But that's a, that's a tough one to hear because I took six months and I fought this disease and I spent time with my family and I came back, you know, in, in you know, good form. And that was what I, I pride myself on the fact that I did shut down because I wouldn't have done my employer or my family or myself any good dividing myself between all of that. You focus, you got to focus on you. And that's the first time in my life that I had ever just stopped and focused on me. And I had so many incredible people around me that it, it made it easy to focus on me at that point because I did the one thing that my best friend, Scott, when I sat down, um, we were at a little restaurant in Seal Beach and I told him, I told him what's going on. And he said, buddy, I need you to make me one promise. And I thought to myself, okay. And he said, I need you to learn how to say yes. And I said, yeah, what do you, I, Scott, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, when people ask you, do you need help? I need you to say yes. And I said, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. And he said, you need to do that, friend. And you know what I did, Dave? I learned how to say yes. And please, and thank you. And the next thing you knew, I had this support system that was, it was bar none, the best anyone could ever have. People for, you know, high school friends coming out of the woodwork, just helping, picking my, my baby up at school or dropping off food or giving me a jar that said kisses for cancer. And it had a, a, a Hershey's kiss for every day until I was done with chemotherapy that my baby could, my aunt could take a kiss out every day because we were kissing cancer goodbye and just things like this. And when I sat down and really thought about why that happened in my life, I think it's because I did that for others and you don't realize it. You don't realize the impact you have on other people until it is reflected in something that happens in your life. And you know why that happened? Because I said, yes. And I, was, I allowed myself to be vulnerable at that time. And it's not easy. Vulnerability is scary. Because you're going to be, is someone going to find you less than? That's what we, we teach people. That's what we strong women have to, have to put a front up. Because if we show vulnerability, we're no longer strong. Hell yes, we're strong. Well, that's why I've always told people you're stronger for admitting you need help and having the courage to ask for help or to accept the help Absolutely. than you are to try to soldier on. But it's, it's, it's funny as you were saying that, you know, like, like, you know, going through, going through the divorce, right? Nobody at work knew about the divorce. I was the same way, right? I mean, we were separated. I moved out. We moved back. We tried to work on it again, went through, you know, the final divorce. Nobody at work knew that I was going through a divorce. I never told anybody. I wasn't going to tell anybody, right? Because it's, it's the same sort of thing where it's like, well, I don't want to be perceived as being weak, even though, I mean, I was on antidepressants. I mean, I was like high blood pressure off the charts, health kind of shit that was going on. Sleep, major sleep deprivation, sleep issues, <laughs> you know, but I, I wouldn't tell anybody cause I, I was a big boy. I was going to handle it by myself. Right. And I and didn't know you, well, you didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. You didn't know. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I don't even think people on my team even knew. I didn't tell any of the people on my team. You know, um, and, and it's, I think there is that because we're afraid of, of being vulnerable because, because most people see vulnerability as, as a weakness, mm -hmm. 
right? But it's not really. And in fact, actually. It, it's a superpower. Can you say that again so everybody can Weakness hear? Weakness is a superpower. It's a superpower. <laughs> I need to write that down too. But it's um, because what I think is interesting is, you know, you, I know who you are as a person. I know the heart you have and the caring that you have for other people, right? And so as you're sitting there saying, you know, Scott telling you, you got to say, you got to learn how to say yes, right? I know you're the kind of person that had been doing these kinds of things for other people who needed help, right? You just do it. That's what you, you do. That's, that's who you are, right? But, but when we're the ones who need the help, it's really, really hard for most of us to accept the help. But, but maybe let's, let's just talk about this a little bit, because I know you, you know, we're, we actually live in the same area. Our kids went to the same high school. And did Which, you and we find that? out 10 years later. Yeah, 10 years later, we live like five miles away from each other and our Seriously. kids went to the same high school. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I want to, I want, I want to talk a little bit about that because when, you know, you can hide a divorce, cancer is a little harder, right? Cause you start <laughs> going through chemotherapy, your hair falls out. It's like, uh, Jane, what's going on, honey? You know, you, Decided to go it, it, big balls. Like Tomato Connor moment. No, it was no. not. It was uh, not by choice. Yeah, so that so that you can't really hide. But you know, talk a little bit about because I know you know you said friends from high school and other people. What was when you when you allowed yourself to say yes or to ask for help? How did that kind of change your life? So. It, and it came about, uh, like I said, I had this conversation with, with Scott, and it's funny because the other most pivotal point happened in the same restaurant. I, I hadn't been out to dinner in forever, both um, down in Seal Beach, and uh, my, core, uh, my core group of girlfriends, uh, it was after, it was, uh, after my second, I believe it was after my second chemotherapy treatment. So bald as a cue ball, puffy as all get out. And uh, they said, we, you know, we, I, I was in between treatments. So you, you're feeling relatively strong at this point. They, and so they said, we, we'd love to take you out to dinner. And I said, you know, germs, this and that. And they said, no, we're just going to go out. We just want to get you out. Because I really hadn't been out. So we went to a, the same restaurant and um, I were sitting at a table and, uh, and, and, some, and one of them said, let's let's take a picture because we really want to remember this moment. And I was like, no, 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 no pictures. And she said, no, no, let's just take one. Cause I think it's 10, 15 years from now, we're going to be able to look back and say, look, remember this moment and look at the, look at the change and the, and the transformation. And so we took a picture and she posted it on Facebook without my permission, without even saying anything. And she thought that she was celebrating how, they felt how well I was doing. Uh, but I hadn't, I mean, you know. But nobody knew that you had cancer. No, the whole world this, knows. So this outpouring of people, I would say 25% were, oh my gosh, and overdramatic about it. Because it's this is my story. You're not allowed to be that dramatic about my story. 50% were incredibly supportive, incredibly. And there were 25% of the people that were so upset with me 
I mean, to the point where some of them use pretty strong language about how can you didn't tell me this was happening? Like, I, I, I wasn't sure I was supposed to make a public service announcement about having cancer. And I'm sorry that you are feeling inept or you're feeling fear because I am fighting cancer. It was, but I learned from all three, all, all three of those reactions. One was to be very appreciative. Another one was to be very careful about, uh, you know, what, what I, what I ch tell and share. And those people that were upset are no longer part of my life. And that was the hardest part of that. You know, they chose to evolve and realize it wasn't about them and to reach back out and say, I'm sorry, I reacted out of fear. Then, then we'd have a conversation about it. But those critical conversations were very few. But I had to edit. I absolutely had to. And I'm not a person that, I mean, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I mean, I'd rather be their glass of wine. But I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and that's and that's understandable. But to reach out and to be angry because of something that was going on in my life, and I was judicious about those that I told because I, for fear of being vulnerable, for fear of being found less than, right? And just fear, for goodness sake, you're you're battling cancer. Yeah. So that was a big deal, Jason. It was a really, really big deal. But coming out of that, I've been very careful about those that I accept into my, into my life now. Um, and it's, it's something freeing about it. I know people talk about the toxicity of people in your world. And I don't necessarily know if I like that word because, you know, the world is toxic. So we would be, we'd be completely alone at that point. But it, uh, I learned so much from that. And, and then entering back into the workforce, uh, the very the very first uh, week, I, I was back in back in the office, and I uh, I did have a wig that I wore for the first couple of days because I thought to myself, I don't want to be that arresting. I don't. I wasn't comfortable enough with the the bald and beautiful look, uh, and I just wanted to make sure that people didn't focus on that part of my struggle. I wanted them to stay focused on my professional attributes and what I what I bring to the company. Well, that was impossible. I'd already been there, you know, 15 years and I had, you know, a friends abound and, but um, we had a meeting, we had a big meeting and I will never forget it. This adorable little orange dress on and sandals and my wig. And I was going, I was in the elevator and I had to go, I did, you know, transfer between floors and I have papers and I have a pen and I have my herbal tea because I wasn't back on coffee yet. And it was the absolute perfect storm. Uh, it's my pen drops, the elevator starts, and I bend down all at the same time and completely fall over in the elevator. I'm by myself, mind you. I'm a turtle on my back in the elevator. Tea has gone everywhere. It's down the front of my dress. My papers are all about. <laughs> and my, oh, course in the wig is the wig has to be like kitty wampus on your head too it right? was, so i finally I, and I, I i picked myself up really quickly and and i didn't have a lot of range of motion because i saw a lot of damage so getting up off the floor wasn't and i'm laughing hysterically the whole time because where i had a choice sorry i had a choice to sit there and cry or to pick your stuff up and get it get yourself together 
So I go, I finally get everything together and I went back to uh, this big, you remember, this big learning center in the organization where we, uh, where we worked. And I walked back in there with an open concept and my partner in crime, Jim at the time, turned around and, and, he, and he just kind of like this. <laughs> and, and I said, no, no questions. <laughs> that somebody needs to be up elevator number one. So he picked up the phone and, and he said, uh, he called him, yeah, the office services and he said- Clean up uh, on elevator one. That's exactly, clean up on elevator one. He said, I have no details. All I know is that there was a massive tea spill. It, it, was, it was hilarious, but it didn't change the fact that I had to walk into a meeting in 10 minutes with the, 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 the men and women from PricewaterhouseCoopers and conduct a meeting. So I whipped my wig off, put it in the drawer, wiped myself down the best that I could, picked up my things and walked into the boardroom. And I, I mean, I, the looks that I was getting and I just looked at them like, not a word, not a word, not a word, not a word. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get started. <laughs> I mean, you, uh, the, the, the fuddlement on their, on their faces was incredible. Cause I just sat down and granted, I wasn't at the head. Our fearless leader was at the head, but nonetheless, it was a time for me to sit there and say, I dare you. I dare you to, to either ask, to make fun, but let's, well, we'll talk about it. But it was so, I got so much pleasure out of this. And of course, Jim was with me and the whole time, and he's, he's looking at me like, what happened? And I'm like, no. I know I can see his face too, as oh. you're talking about it. I can see exactly the faces that he and, was making at you. So, and we have this look, we always go at each other. And the whole time it was, <laughs> you can only imagine. So it was things like that that I, I was able to transform into experience and funny and other than, you know, I wasn't vulnerable at that time. I fell down, I looked like a turtle. My favorite orange dress had tea all over it. So what? Well, and I think that's, that's probably a little perspective, right? That you got from going, going through those six months of fighting. I mean, if, if that would have happened to you, you know, same thing, you fall over, you know, a year before you have cancer, you would have been mortified, mortified, probably, right? You would have been like, oh my gosh, I got to run back home. I got to do, oh, right? I probably would have run over to Macy's to buy a new dress to put on because I've, God forbid, I can't, you know, be yeah. in front of the, one of the big five and a teal over my chest. Yeah, but it gives, it gives you a completely different perspective when you go through about what's really important and what's really not. The other thing is you were, as you were talking about that too, I think, you know, so, so much of the time, I mean, it's, we're all different, right? I mean, we, we, and, and however we show up, the best that we can show up is, it, it doesn't really matter, right? So again, like in, in the meeting, it doesn't matter that you have tea on yourself. It doesn't matter that your wig was kitty wampus or you took it off, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, who, you know, how you look doesn't have any bearing on the work at hand, right? It absolutely does not. And, but, but, but how much of the time people want to do that? I think that's why there's, there's so many people, you know, and you and I have talked about that we try to fight for people because I'm one of those people too, who's a little bit different. But a lot of times people will look at people who are different and, you know, give them that look, 
or want to ask questions or want to make fun of them. And it's like, you know, people are just tired of that. They don't need pity. No. They don't need pity from people. You know, it, it, it would be, you know, same, same kind of thing where like when Jim was looking at you, he was giving you the look like, Jane, is there anything I could do for you? Yeah. Right. He wasn't pitying you, but it was, oh. you got, you got this or do we need to do something? Right. Sort of a thing. And you were, again, you were making the choice. You were choosing to be happy, choosing to take, right. Cause we can cry about it or we can laugh about it. If, Which one you want to do? Which one would you rather do? Cause I gotta tell you, I'm an ugly crier. So that <laughs> laughter piece is this, there may be some vanity there too, but holy smokes. <laughs> yes. But it, but it, but it is, it's, it's interesting, but again, I mean, going through those kind of, you know, life experiences, that's, that's how you learn, right. Or the same thing too, of, you know, how you said kind of the 25, the 50 and the 25% of the people as well, right. Is that, you know, you, you really learn who your friends really are when, when you're going through some of this stuff or when you share something or you're more authentic with them, on how the people actually react, right? And if and if they're into their fear or they're more embarrassed about how they look because they're with you now, it's like, well, I fucking don't need you, right? If you're embarrassed, you know, because of how I look, then you're not really my friend, you know? And sometimes those people end up kind of out of our lives, but but sometimes we we want to hold on. Right. And I think like you talked about before, you know, if it's not your choice, well, you still get to choose how you're going to respond. Right. It was a really big, it was a learning moment and a teaching moment for me as well. Cause the one thing that my son Grant asked me during my entire battles, when I would pick him up from school, he said, mommy, will you, will you wear a hat when you pick me up from school, please? And I said, uh, uh, yeah, of course, of course I will, but will you tell me why? And he said, and I, and I said, are you, does it, it, does it make you uncomfortable to see mom without a, without hair? Is it, you know, it, are the kids, would the kids make comments? And he said, I just don't want people to be mean to you. Mm. And I, and I, I just looked at him and of course the eye as well, because I'm a sympathy crier too. And um, I said, well, baby, I'm not worried about that. And he said, I am. This is a fifth grader. This is a fifth grader. And I'm sure it had something to do with, you know, kids, kids can be cruel or they can ask questions that other that that our children aren't prepared to answer. And I understand that. So I I did it. Yes, I had a little fedora. I put it on to go pick him up. And I wasn't, that was the only time that I was really okay with you know, protecting my, my my son at that point. Because I but if they, those were adults, but I gotta tell you, I think the other some of the other moms might have been um, a bigger issue than the children. So, because I, you'd, you'd look, you know, you'd see the looks or the pity, and I know that it's out of a good place. I knew it was, but I'm like, well, you know, it is what it is. You know, they would say things like, "Well, I don't think I'm going to the house without hair." <laughs> Do you have a choice? Uh, no, you don't. 
And by the way, I have a really nice head. I was like, hey, at least it's all isn't. I apparently didn't get dropped too many times when, when I was little, uh, you know, other than what my brother would tell me all the time that I'd get dropped on my head all the time. Um, you know, there were just those things. But I, but I, I learned so much from how Grant approached it. And I learned so much about how it rebuilt my relationship with my ex-husband and how my sister was my guardian angel. And I mean, just so many incredible things come from adversity. Um, they absolutely do. But the one thing that it led me to, and I know you and I talked about it a little bit, was on the one year anniversary of um, chemotherapy, a happenstance. I was a neighbor, um, the neighbor knew how philanthropically driven I was, I, and I still am. Uh, and she, her company was an incredible sponsor for the, world, the Special Olympics World Games in 2016. They're hold, holding a, a part of them at UCLA and part of them at SC. And she said, I have four tickets that I can't use. And she said, I don't really don't want to tell my company that I'm not going to use them. Would you like them? And I said, well, I, yes, please. We've never, we've never been to anything that, that large as far as the Special Olympics were concerned. And so I took um, Bill, my husband and Grant and, and a friend. So we went up to, to UCLA, um, actually, we were on the USC campus. And checked in, and it so happened that this gold, this gold level ship sponsor, uh, you got it, it was like the behind the scenes kit and caboodle of everything that has to do with the special Olympics. You got to see how well taken care of these athletes are from all over the world. I mean, there it is just it was so impactful to me to see how well they were taken care of. But the one thing that stood out for me were these intellectually challenged adults. So that people I have ever been around despite the challenges that they were born with I had you know I had a year and a half worth of chemotherapy and and, and, and not feeling well these are men and women that were born essentially not feeling well and challenged and they're still the happiest population I have ever been around you know I haven't traveled extensively which is on my on the list but you hear about you know, traveling and seeing different cultures and how you learn from them. Well, this is a population that I think everybody in the world could learn from because they are the most positive, loving, uh, driven men and women. They have a goal and they're gonna get there regardless of it's run, walk or crawl. They're gonna get there. And I just, I have learned so much from them that I've devoted a great deal of my time from that point on uh, helping them learn how to public speak and write for them and helping them spread that. Cause I looked at what was my number one, you know, what do I do? I, I, I talk and, uh, and I, I love to write. So I'm helping these men and women develop their, uh, their speaking skills. And it has been the best, best addition to my, to my world, but the happiness that it exudes from that population of people is unmatched and I can imagine in the world. They're incredible, absolutely incredible. And I get to draft off of that. Well, is it is. And it's, it's you know, I, again, I think that, isn't it ironic, like you said, right? That the, that the people that the world would say have everything together, <laughs> they're perfect. They're pretty, they've got money. They've got, you know, the, the, the perfect marriage, the perfect car, the perfect home, the perfect career, whatever the perfect is, right? Instagram life. Instagram. And they are the most miserable people in the world. 
most of the time, you know, and yet the people who we would look at and, and, and a lot of people would want to pity, right? Just like some of those people were to you like, oh, Jane, you know, poor Jane, she has cancer. Well, you know what, honey, I can guarantee you Jane was happier with cancer than you are without cancer. Absolutely. Right. Cause she chooses to do that. Right. And, mm-hmm. and how much when we look around, cause like you said, special Olympics is just amazing. Right. I mean, one of my favorite stories, cause I'm a big Mr. Rogers fan. I love him. And one of the, one of the commencement addresses that he gave, he shared one of the experiences that he had there, right. Where one of the runners falls down, all the other runners turn around and go back and pick them up and hand, hand arm, arm in arm, right? You know, it's like, don't worry, you know, I'll kiss it better and let's just walk. And then everybody just walks to the finish line together. You know, it's like, how much of a life lesson is that if we would just all be more like that, right? In general, instead of our fighting and our complaining and our victim mentality bullshit that we get ourselves into and and woe is me pity victim of as i'm going through whatever you know what if we started seeing these things as opportunities instead of challenges and they they are our opportunities i mean people people often see when you talk about kindness and you talk about happiness they see that as you being simple or naive i think it's our superpower I think it is something that, I mean, happiness is, yeah, it is a choice, but it is also contagious. And so, so, so you know, I mean, the, the things like greed and sadness and, and, and fear, those are all contagious as well. But I just think that, you know, when, when you spread it, we had the, um, the opportunity to bring in um, a man named Sean Aker, who has a book called The Happiness Advantage. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. But if you haven't, or anybody that's going to see this haven't, um, and it was brought to us by uh, a young man that worked for the company where we worked, and he uh, he was considerably younger than we are, and he got about this such an incredible perspective. But he's an avid reader, and he said, "So, so we're getting the leaders together, and I don't know if this would work, but it's something that's very impactful to me." He came out of that master's program at CSU Fullerton, and he was just incredible, and. Um, that's the, I, I think that if I can remember correctly, the book talked about um, become more successful, happier people are more successful. I'm totally paraphrasing right now. Happier people are more successful and more positive um, or more or successful people are more happy, something like that. Uh, the second one is um, happiness is the, has what we feel when we reach our potential mm-hmm. just to strive for it. And the other one was about um, it's about the belief that we don't need to change. We just need to realize that we can. And so, I mean, there, it, I don't, this is like, it's called the happiness advantage. And it's something that, I mean, it's stuck with me. I, I need to, I need to pull it out of the, out of the bookshelf and reread it periodically because it was, but he came to talk and he, and he was, he's incredible. He's got a great Ted talk that it's not very long, obviously, because it's a Ted talk, but uh, if you ever need to jump in your day, uh, it's something to watch. Other than like, you know, videos of kitties or puppies, those help too. But um, Or listening to podcasts like this one, right? Or listen to podcasts, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So. Well, because the funny thing is with, you know, because I'm familiar with Sean and, yeah. and um, you know, the, the, the whole idea is that 
so much of the world believes that when they have something, they will be happy. It's the other way around, folks. When you are happy, then you get those things, right? It's like happiness is the way that you look at it. You know, it's it's Jane when when you spill the tea on yourself and getting up and kind of laughing about it, right? It's you know, it's 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 that kind of, it's it's the choice of choosing to do that, right? And and to look at everything as an opportunity or a or a challenge, not necessarily like as a bad challenge, but like as, as an opportunity to learn, to grow, you know, because everything that you've gone through in your life has helped you get to where you are today. Right. And again, which is a much happier place than you were even just a year ago, you know, before you had that, that last opportunity Mm -hmm. as well. Right. Um, yeah, and when I told you that when I when I had this the op, the opportunity presented to me, uh, I I figured I, I had to work it through it. Obviously, I have to think through this, and I called um, a thought my one of my best thought partners, who was a previous um, boss of mine, who works for a large organization in Orange County, and I told him about the situation, and uh, and he said, "Well, I'm not going to." If you call me to, for me to tell you what to do, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm paraphrasing again. He said, but I've got three questions for you. Yep. And I knew that he was going to do this because the power, he, he strongly believes in the power of three and so do I. And the first question was, um, are you growing? And I said, no, we both know that. And he said, number two, are you contributing at the level that you know you can contribute? And I said, no. And he said, are you happy? And I said, and I, and I said, and I started to go down the, well, you know, happiness is a choice. He said, I don't want to hear that right now. What I want to know is for you to tell me, are you happy? And I said, no, I'm not. And we had a conversation about it. It was my choice to stay with an organization that I knew was not going to help me fulfill my potential because it was easy. And it was transactional and it was, and you, and I was still make, I was still making an impact in that intra and interpersonal, both in both, in both areas. But that's where I was, that's where I was, we were, uh, that's where the impact that I was making. But I've told you that, that, you know, throughout my career, I've always focused on those who need me and not those who leave me. And it has been a significant uh, challenge for me because I don't I don't manage up I never have and I think I don't know if, if I don't know if there's some you know we talk about servant leadership and things like that I think I might be like a philanthropic leader model because those that need me are the ones that are going to get my attention and it's not someone in the c-suite that needs me to stroke their ego I'm not going to do that I'm going to be polite and collaborative and we're going to have fun together but you're not going to get that from me because you know what? You have plenty of people in your world that do that. What you're going to get from me, you're going to get truth. You're going to get hard work. You're going to get you know, a legitimate Jane. You're not going to get someone that's going to, you know, blow, you know what, where, because it's not going to happen. <laughs> it is 
didn't have, and it, and it really, really, so anybody watching this that feels that they are stuck because they aren't managing up, don't start. Be authentic. Stay the course. You know, if you need to make a change and you need to reskill and go down another path, have the courage to do that. You know, they talk about curiosity. We talk about courage. And I don't mean to make me flip about this, but there's so many buzzwords. And we talk about the skills, the soft skills involved with reaching the C-suite. Just be you. And, you well, know, and I wanted to go there a little bit too, you know, because, um, you know, I, I appreciate you and the way that you are, you know, in that. I think we agreed most of the time. I can't remember any times when you and I got into a little pissing match at work, but maybe we did. I don't remember. It would probably <laughs> but, be very funny and fun. If but, we did, uh, right? We probably but, didn't though, because we were usually both putting together solutions and, yeah. and people and, you know, I don't, I don't yeah, think. So I, don't, I, I, I don't see that happening, but I know because why I wanted to go here is because I love I love that those who you serve those who need me, not those who leave me. Right. And I've seen, I mean, I could see this. I, I, I knew this in my career. I could see this in you as well. Right. Is that you were authentic. You had the heart. You weren't, you weren't afraid to stand up. And like you said, I'm not going to stroke your ego. You know, it's like, you know, there's plenty of people willing to stroke you if you want to get stroked. <laughs> And okay. while they do, I'll but I'm pumped, right? Yeah. But anyway, but but you know, I'm not going to be the one to do it because you don't need a bunch of yes men or yes women, right? Yeah. But but what that ends up doing for a lot of us, like you and me, is we get we get pushed, we we get bumped up against. Some people call it glass ceiling, you know, call it whatever you want to call whatever it, you want to call it, but whatever you want to call barrier. it. But there's some barrier that's holding you back. And I could see that in your career. And I know you experienced some of that directly. Um, but, you know, mo most people would at that point kind of give in. And in fact, what I thought was interesting, and, and, if, and if you would share a little bit about, about what happened to you, because like I said, until we, until we reconnected th these last few weeks, this is a very powerful uh, story, I think, as far as, because you were kind of told, right? I mean, you had people that kind of came to you and said, look, Jane, you know, well, you just tell the story, how you're not cutting it and what they ended up trying to do to fix you. <laughs> so I had, uh, you, were you talking about the uh, executive presence? Yes, we all are. <laughs> so, um, so here, you know, I have this, I, I do have a very successful career. I mean, I, I built a, 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 a training program that was the gold standard in the food service industry. And I had trained over 5,000 5, external brokers with a team, mind you. But I, I prepared this and we executed this over a 10-year you know, a, a, a period. And I just wasn't getting the recognition that I know that I deserved. And um, so I'm asking the questions. You know, when you're getting a when you get a less than what what what, what we usually called it um, uh, when you're doing a, a performance evaluation and oh you know less than exemplary you know yeah. if you're getting a you know if you're getting a three out of a five and you're just 
adequate Absolutely. adequate i think is a word that Everyone sometimes says, people use that's right where, no that's where you should be that's where you're going to keep going you're just in and so i asked the critical question you know if, if you're going to tell me that i'm not there tell me what i need to do to get there and uh and then demand demand use that voice and demand what it is well i had the only thing that they could come back with they talked about um, executive presence and so uh, the organization that I worked with uh, made a significant investment and sent me to Minneapolis for three days to work with one of the preeminent uh, leadership coaches. She had coached Barack Obama. She had had this whole had this, and she was like four. Nice pedigree on the wall. Oh, and she, uh, but she is the scariest woman you're ever going to meet. I mean, I'm only five three, and if, if I'm tall, she's tiny. But she is so much in this incredible little package, and. Um, so, but what we did, I mean, it's one of those programs where they beat you down to build you up. But coming out of that, um, it was, my, my question was, how do I maintain my, my authentic self and, 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 and survive this and move forward and stay professional? Um, but when I got in there and she, they talked about um, word choice. You know, they, they specifically said I needed to remove two words from my vocabulary, which were fabulous and fantastic. <laughs> you couldn't were. say fabulous or fantastic. Because those are not executive. Uh, those, that's not executive speak. And I mean, it was almost a cartoon, you know, the cartoon dog that goes, uh, <laughs> I, well, I, I just did that right now. <laughs> Um, I had to, I had to remove those. I had to smile less because at that point, you know, that is, it, it's vulnerable. It, it, it shows people that you may not be as serious. Um, and so that uh, they, oh, they talked about um, self-deprecating humor. That not as, I mean, that's my shtick. I mean, there are parts of it, but, and I understood that. Let's limit that. Let's not do it. it you, no self-deprecating humor that focuses on your skills. If it's something, you know, it's something that, something else that can be done, but don't, don't ever, ever, you know, just because we typically use that to make your audience more comfortable, which is mm -hmm. a, you know, an a, a age old uh, storytelling uh, mechanism, but that's okay. So all of a sudden, I just felt them trying to drain, drain, drain Jane out of Jane, and it was it was the most demoralizing exercise because yes, we all have room for improvement, and there were some things that I did pull out of there. We learned how to, you know, when you're talking, create a satellite message and go back to that message every time you're you're presenting. That was incredible. That that was something that I brought out of there that I actually was able to cascade to the leaders of our organization. But as I sat down in the Minneapolis airport with the biggest glass of wine you have ever seen, <laughs> that it was probably three times more, I expensed probably way more than I needed to, but I was like, this is happening. I just, I really thought about how and why we do this to each other and how organizations try and create a culture. We talk about culture and culture is important. And I'm not going to say it's not. I led a culture program with our organization. It is incredibly important. But part of that culture is diversity. And I feel that when we force people to hide their diversity, it's taking away from everything that they have to give to the organization. 
it takes away from their time and they're, they're, they're spending more energy trying to hide that diverse either look or idea or approach and trying to convert over to what this, this culture pattern or this, cult, this, this, this the, the culture, this prescribed culture. And I felt like that's what they were doing to me in a, in, in a way. And I came back and I didn't change that much. <laughs> so apparently they didn't appreciate that. Um, but I mean, I continued to grow incrementally. There was, there just weren't any of those incredibly large um, jumps. And then when my partner in crime retired, uh, I was the heir apparent for his role and it was a leadership role. And uh, there was nobody more suited for it than me. There wasn't. And um, they did a silent search and brought somebody from the outside in and um, gave her the role. And I found out up until the day before I was still being told, you got it, like, come on, keep working. And then they made this announcement, which is the day that I should have, you know, re pulled up my, myself up by the bootstraps and made a change, but, um, but I didn't, but, uh, that was, that was a big one. That was, a, that was a big one. And when I said something about it, I was told, do you know how many people in this building would like your job? Mm -hmm. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't take it as a threat at that time. I just took it as a blow to my everything. But when I shared that, everyone was like, oh, my heavens. You didn't do anything with that? I'm like, what am I going to do? <laughs> it's my choice. I chose to stay with an organization that, that supported someone that would say that. Yep. You know, I mean, typically we don't, people don't leave companies. They leave managers. Yep. Right? And to have a manager say that, and again, that wasn't, that was only a, a little while before the world shut down and, you know, life took, it, took, took a turn, but I have learned so much from these exchanges that I, I don't know if I would have changed it. I may, I may have moved a little quicker if, if, that, if, if the company hadn't given me that nudge, but Holy smokes, Jason! I would. I just know now that I would. I would never put anyone in that position. Mm -hmm. uh, transparency is so, so, so very important. And when you're not transparent, you don't get the most out of everyone around you. Um, and you know, anyone that has ever been in this position that may they may tell themselves, "Oh, I should have done this," or "I would have done this if I'd known that." Regret is a, a, a is a wasted, wasted emotion. Let's just turn it around and move forward. And I can say, I can say that to anyone listening, that that is what you have to do because that there, there, there there's no benefit to regret. You may learn from it. Um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an athlete and I grew up with, you know, they would, they would say either you win or you either win or you lose, right? You know, the second place is the first loser. I mean, those are things that would come out of, out of, out of the, my, my coaches and my, my family. I mean, that's why we would talk about it or we giggle about it. And now I, mean, I really look at it as you win or you learn. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I, learn, I mean, I don't win all the time. I do love to win. I'm incredibly competitive, mind you. But I learn daily. And I, <clears throat> life is too short to, to regret. 
can just learn from which which it which encounter every single day and keep a smile on your face. Well, and I, I appreciate you saying that because I think it's, you know, a lot of people, you know, I usually tell people you can either be responsible or you can play a victim, which one you want to be. Right. Let's not go to the victim mentality. And we're not going to talk about that here. I talk about that enough already, but, but, but you, you kind of, you know, brought that up and showed that here as far as, you know, you were in, in my opinion, you were horribly treated. It doesn't surprise me knowing who some of the people were that you were dealing with there. But, but that's, you know, to tell somebody you can't say fabulous or fantastic, you can't, you have to smile less, you know, you're, you're not serious enough, you know, um, it just takes away, you know, from, from the individual. And, and I know when we were talking before, it's like, I, I've just, it's becoming more and more apparent how much corporate leadership training is just to lobotomize people and make everybody the same. And like you said, it's, you know, for people, you know, culture needs to be diverse. We need more people that are diverse in organizations. We need more people that are diverse in, in every way. In every way. In every way, on teams, on, you know, because everybody has something to offer. And it's just despicable that we're, we're not allowing people to be themselves because, because you could feel that. Right. And I think when we were talking before, you even said the first little bit, when you came back and you were trying to do what they were telling you to do, everybody's like, where'd the old Jane go? We liked her. Where's who's this new person? And all of a sudden it's, um, what was, Oh, I know another, Oh, it was, this is one that I, when I I would, would retell the story originally, I would talk to say I was embarrassed about it. But it was probably one of the biggest moments. So after we came back, I came back from having chemotherapy, bald as a cue ball. We had an event that this, this is November of, I won't, I won't date myself, but it was November. And that next April, we were, I had already contracted for a large corporate event that we were doing. And it was national meeting. And um, we still hadn't talked about talent that we were bringing in. And I had this vision to bring in we had a number of, of folks in the in the armed forces, and they had or they had they had loved ones abroad. And I looked into how you could bring someone home to you know you see those on TV, see them at the basketball games, you see them here where they mm-hmm. they're how long has your daddy been deployed? And all of a sudden he walks out, and it happens. And I'm telling this heartfelt <laughs> of explaining what I, I what my vision is, and I'm, I'm talking to CEO, I'm talking to CHRO. I've got my, you know, my partner in crime with me in that we're in the boardroom and my eyes well up in tears because I'm so passionate about this. And I looked at, I mean, literally it was one of those, oh gosh, my brain is like, stop, 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 stop. And my heart is like, how can you not? Because you were so passionate about this. And I, it was, it was, I wish I could have, I, I, I could have had those thought bubbles coming out of my head because what one side of my, me is saying, executive presence you don't cry in the boardroom and and this isn't but my other my heart saying you were passionate about this you really want to do it and I'm looking at the CEO blinking and he is dumbfound yeah. oh my gosh this woman is getting ready to cry and I didn't but it just used to, I mean I have pretty vibrant eyes and when they well they well and uh I would I would I went I remember going back to my office saying oh my gosh I'm so embarrassed what am I 
embarrassed about because I was human yeah. and I showed emotion talking about something that could have been one of the most impactful things I could ever do for someone. And unfortunately it didn't pan out because there was no way that we could make it surreptitiously work, but... find out information about people. It's not legal to ask those kind of questions of people unless they, so it didn't happen, but to think that I couldn't show emotion and talking about re reuniting a family that could have been apart for years with the uncertainty of deployment in, in part of it. I just, I, it was so pivotal. But to myself, oh my gosh, Jane. Well, and to, and to me, the sad, the sad point too in that story, because you hadn't told me that one before, mm -hmm. is, you know, again, that you were, you, you unfortunately had that juxtaposition in your brain because you were told you can't show emotions, oh, no. but humans are emotional. And, 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 and the sad part, and again, I mean, knowing the leaders who were in that room with you, they were emotionally immature and looked dumbfounded because they didn't know how to react or respond to another human being that was actually showing emotion. And that's what's sad is a lot of the people who think that they've got all their shit together, they are so emotionally immature. And that's why they want to make everybody else into robots because they can't handle emotion around them. Right. And, and to me, again, it's sad because, you know, I talk about executive presence, but what, what you were taught about is not what I teach right? Yeah. Because it's like, yeah. it's totally different folks. When you, when you really know this, when you really, really do this, it's, it's totally different. Right. And so it's, it's, yeah, like I said, it just pisses me off when, when, when people do that, because, you know, it's okay to feel emotion. In fact, you know, I'll even go back to, I remember the story of Eisenhower, you know, General Eisenhower, right. And him standing on the the cliff on D-Day watching all the people leave and he was crying. If a five-star general, you know, in the middle of a war can cry and it's okay for him to cry, then why the fuck is it not okay for us to express emotions at work? Come on, folks. I mean, again, you know, we've got to temper it. There's, there's a time and a place, you know, but, but there's no reason why we can't, if it's genuine and authentic that we can't actually do that we're human beings after all we're, we're human beings and it's it's and, and, and again like i said when, when it's genuine and, and and there are there are times when it, people use it as a as a tool and they use it as a crutch and you know there's i i know that there's plenty of women and men and women that'll start the waterworks in order to make somebody uncomfortable to stop you know stop the talk talk talking about a situation or things like that i do i do understand that that they they use it um to manipulate people at times as well in yeah. business and relationships and wherever you're going to do it. Not one of those. <laughs> it, that, but nonetheless, um, yeah, it is, it's, it's hard. And it's, and I, I really, when I, right before I was getting ready to leave that, that my long tenure with the, with the company, um, I, I do, I do feel like it, I do need to say that this company properly celebrated me. They really did. I was so and surprised well, on, on the way out. <laughs> that was, it was really, really, but the people that, um, that reached out, um, I actually had some people saying, what, 
what am I going to do without you here? And I thought, you don't report, and my brain is, you don't report to me. You don't, I mean, we, I really don't impact your daily, but they'll say, you know, you've been here since the day I started. You onboarded me. And I, you know, I have someone that said every time I come by, I, I look for your smile when I, I'm on my way to the restroom because I, my office was there, but what am I going to do every day without that? And those were the comments that, and I guess, you know, the, 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 the pillars of industry would say, oh, oh, well, are you talking about what strategic contributions that you've made? Are they, they come by and say, Oh, what was your what was your impact? What was your fiscal impact to the organization this past year? But if someone is going to have a hard time going forward because they didn't see a happy face every day, I've done my job. Yeah. I've done my job. And this was an executive vice president of that organization that said, What am I going to do without seeing you every day? Yeah. No, even even the little things like that of making somebody, you know, smiling to people. And making them feel just a little bit better during the day is huge. It's it's more more important than a lot of the f- fiscal uh, stuff in the organization. Again, we can we both like to talk, but we got to kind of do the timeout. We'll have to do another episode um, as well. But but I wanted to uh, to thank you because I know it's hard sometimes for people to express or to talk about some of these things. So. I applaud you for doing that and for having the courage to say that, even, even though, again, you might've been a little embarrassed about it, but it's, it's by us sharing, by you sharing that other people can realize that it's okay for them too, right? They're not alone. Other people are dealing with the same kind of stuff. And so I appreciate you coming on and bearing your soul <laughs> a little well, bit so you no know, it's the th- actually the thanks go to you thank you I, it's it's just it's been cathartic uh really talking about it with someone who does understand but i mean and you and i i mean our opinions differ in a lot of ways too and you've helped me look at things differently and i just it's, it's gonna sound corny but if one person listens to this and says okay i was part of the 38 million that that found myself in 2021 a, you know, adrift, a and with this, maybe I can adjust my sales. What do they say? The, 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 the pessimist. Uh, gosh, it's about you know, you know the, the optimist changes their adjust their sales. You know, what, however they. There's a saying that is very poignant, but I can't remember it right now because I have no memory anymore. Um, welcome to welcome, welcome to middle age. Exactly. Right? Yeah, so yeah. I can't blame it on chemo brain anymore. <laughs> um, but. It's just, I mean, if, if someone, if there's one person out there that can adjust their sales and find a new course after listening to this, um, yeah. or has found someone that they want to reach out to, and you and I, to, to talk it through, our job here is done. Yeah, exactly. Because it's, you know, like you said, do you know, we're both here to serve those who need us. That's why we're here. That's why we did this. So, yeah. I don't call myself a trusted thought partner for nothing, right? No, exactly. exactly. And that's, that's my tagline and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, Jane, thank you. It's, um, yeah, it's been a real treat getting reconnected with you. And like I said, there's, we're going to have to do some other stuff together too. So I, I cannot <laughs> wait. I, this is, this, it, it, I've been so excited about this since just reconnecting and um, 
prepping for this has really, really helped me think about everything that we, I have accomplished in the past 25 and a half years and um, how lucky I am. I'm just a lucky human being. Like we said, we'd rather be lucky than smart, right? Exactly. Well, and I'm, I'm glad that I've been lucky to have you in my life as well, too. So it's, it, 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 it goes all around, you know, so. And again, thanks for coming on today. And we'll have to do something else in the future again, too, I'm sure. We will, but I'm sending you a big virtual hug and um, we will talk soon. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great afternoon. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. The fact that you listened to this entire episode means you got value and others will too. Do me a favor and leave a five-star review with comments and then share with others. You can also check out all of my videos on my YouTube channel and my website, jasonmefford.com. This podcast is primarily for education and commentary and does not represent professional advice. Views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.